Talk radio show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show, now syndicated on uh, iHeartRadio. We have a great lineup of guests here today and all throughout the year, so we hope you'll continue to join us. In case this is the very first time, or, or maybe you're coming back after maybe not being here for a while and you forget how the show works, the Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. In the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings, and we like to explore both of those meanings. The first one being how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve success. And the second is how it relates to human resources and really how HR leaders find the best candidates for their company. So this show will look to explore those two areas, along with how talented individuals impact a company's culture, one of my favorite things to talk about. So typically the, the guests here on the show are CEOs, HR executives, entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, consultants, but really from all different walks of life and different industries. And typically what happens is I'm at a conference or a networking event, and I have the privilege of meeting these inspiring leaders, and I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue instead of me just cornering them at the conference and only me hearing all the great things they had to tell me. And we're really looking to hopefully get some great advice from them on cultivating talent, developing leaders, and, of course, managing their culture. And most importantly, hopefully something today will impact your own career in a positive way. I want to thank those of you tuning in live here every Tuesday. If you have a question for one of my guests today, they're both live in studio, so it's a great time to shoot us a question on Twitter, at PeopleG2, and use that hashtag TalentTalk. My producer, Mike, is just a foot away from me, and he can feed me all the best questions. Um, We'll try to work them into the show as we can. Don't forget, you can also tune in and listen to this show as a podcast here on iTunes. You can also find us on the iHeartRadio app now and subscribe to this feed can join the other 175,000 subscribers we have. We thank all of you who are tuning in to listen, engage with the show, and sharing it with your audience as well. All right, so let's go ahead and get today's show started. My guest today, I'm only really proud to have uh, Michael Fleming, is the CEO of Parlor Enterprises, otherwise known as Farrell's, uh, for those that remember that great, uh, well, it's a franchise, and it's a, is it, would we call it a franchise? What would we call it? Uh, enterprise, maybe that might be yeah. a better word. There we go. And also, uh, Anna Badilio, excuse me, I'm misspoke there. But anyways, associate a career consultant at Lee Hesh Harrison. Anna will be joining me the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get to my uh, first guest. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, I'm going to be just a tiny bit closer there. There we go. All right, there we go. I want to make sure everyone can hear everything you have to say. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Parlor Enterprises, and, you know, like I said, as Southern California really knows as Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor. Yeah, as far as my uh, my background, my career, I, I actually had a law enforcement career with Los Angeles Police Department for about eight years, and then I got into business with my brother, uh, actually in the recreational business, um, operating, owning, and then developing family entertainment centers, family fun centers. And this is where my my love for Farrell's kind of ended up blossoming. Uh, what had happened when we opened a, a center, we had a McDonald's inside, and 
after a few years, I decided we needed something else. And mm-hmm. I happened to think of Farrell's and thought, whatever happened to them? Because I remember going there in high school. What a great place. And if we put a Farrell's inside, this would be terrific. So did some research and found out that Marriott actually had owned the license and trademark, but uh, was not using it at the time. So kind of roll ahead in several years uh we put together a team great team uh paul kramer is is my partner the president of the company uh he assembled a group of his people i did myself and we've got this great team to bring this concept back we opened our first uh unit in 2009 in mission viejo and now we have uh six uh stores and uh one in hawaii so, you know, this kind of goes back to about 2003, I guess, and, and bringing back that, that first Ferrell's. Uh, and I know several locations, when I drive by them, seem to have lines out the door that people, it's very popular. So obviously it's a brand that people know and love and have, you know, really embraced it coming back, um, much like the Jurassic Park franchise and soon the Terminator franchise. It seems to have, have come back, you know, as I mentioned before we started the shows, it's something that I think many of us have such a great memory of as, as kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's come back in such a big way. So noting the obvious success, there's been, uh, ha- have there been any notable struggles in kind of getting from that starting point when you actually did get that uh, licensing, you're able to, to, to go forward to really bringing it back to this recognizable brand? Well, uh, yes. And, and uh, starting out, I mean, the first thing you need is capital to be able to build. And we were very fortunate that uh, one of the newspaper articles here in Orange County, um, an investor actually contacted us early on and said, you know, I love the brand and uh, we met. So we were able to fund our first unit, uh, which was incredible because we really thought it was going to take us quite a while mm-hmm. to do that. So, and yes, what, uh, you know, people that remember Farrell's remember the fact they were all over and there were actually 130 nationwide. Really? Yes. There, it was a nationwide, it was in every major city. In California, there were quite a few because it started in 1963 with Bob Farrell in Portland, Oregon. And then Bob began franchising the concept. So it quickly moved down through uh, California and then started to go uh, east uh, across the country. That makes sense. There might be a lot in California, given most of the year's ice cream weather here. So, yeah, yeah. and 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 a lot of people as well. Right, and and so the concept just exploded, and uh, people have great memories. It's very Disneylandish, if if, yeah. if that's a word. Um, but we we have kept the concept uh, identically uh, to, to way uh, to where uh, Bob Farrell when he started the concept. And how he created it, because we wanted people to be able to come back and experience what they what they had experienced twenty, thirty years ago. Right, and that's a that's a difficult thing to do in today's marketplace because obviously times have changed and tastes have changed and a lot of things have changed. And um, we've been very fortunate, I think, to for the most part, been able to hit it on the head. Well, that's a difficult challenge to make something new and yet vintage, and, yes. and to keep that that feeling. I mean. I just remember getting that giant pig platter or whatever it was big when straw, I yeah, yeah when big I straw, yeah. when I was got A's and then somebody banging a drum and you know there was a lot of like you said a kind of a, a entertainment value to it and excitement to it that was really special you didn't get anywhere else I mean you could 
walk into some other ice cream place and no matter what they did you were just standing in line picking out your thing and you leave it wasn't a sit down and experience yeah. which i think is a, a unique thing that to ferals at least in this area yeah and i think you know for those people that that aren't really sure what a ferals ice cream parlor is it's a full it's a full service restaurant um and we serve great food but the the theme of the restaurant is a turn of the century and not the last century i'm talking about the one before the turn of the 1900s and so it's got this Disney Main Street uh, look to it. So when you walk in, that you feel like you're you're way back in time. But then our servers are very very entertaining, uh, uh, almost in, entertainers in their own right. right. And and that's the the challenge that we have is you know and we get this all the time. How do you find those people? They're so much like Disney employees and and uh, and Nordstrom employees. How do you find those people with those great personalities? And uh, we've been very fortunate to have a process that uh, has really worked for us. So I know your plan is to take Farrell's here, you know, back to this national level. So how is that coming along? And if you can talk about it, what are some, what's that strategic plan, you know, for growth going forward really look like? Well, you know, the first thing, you, we built um, uh, several units uh, fairly quickly. And um, we decided this last year to take a, take a breather and to really take an inside and, and total look at our, our operations and who we are and the brand and all of that. And one of the things you mentioned were lines because one of the issues we had early on was um, not getting people to get that that you know repetitious uh, have the repetition of coming back to Ferrell's uh, over and over again once a month you know twice a month and the first thing we found is that it was the lines and mm-hmm. uh, so we we experimented with a lot of different ways to get people in the building faster. And finally, we came up with a uh, system through a company called Rescue that we're able to book online reservations, and it's very accurate. So we kind of solved that problem right away. But the perception was already out there. It's already been out there you know, for several years that mm-hmm. Ferrell's has lines. And we still do, uh, but they move very fast now. So it's now getting that word out because we really have struggled to bring those people back. That's been a very difficult thing for us. That's got to be an incredible challenge because the perception that there are lines is that you're desired, that people find your your product appealing, and there's a certain you know good thing about that but on the same end if you know now two weeks from now there isn't a line but i'm not going because i think there's a line yes. now you have an issue of, of having people come to you know, experience this new place because you know i i know my kids have been my wife has been but i haven't been because a few times i've gone by saw on the line when eh, you know we decided not to do it so that's a really cool message you guys have done and have done a bit of, of, of work on your own to improve the process and of course i'm sure that improves profits and and revenue as well if you're getting you know more more people through that line everyone's going to be happy but it it really took us quite a while um to to, to find out what the what the issues were, mm-hmm. and um, we we did extensive surveys. Um, we had seventy two thousand people that were surveyed. We really needed to get to the bottom of it. So the number one issue were lines. The number two thing is that people thought we were just a place to celebrate birthdays, and because that's what people remember. Oh, mm-hmm. I had my 
10th birthday, 13th birthday. But we're not. We're a place to celebrate life's events. So our current ad campaign, and I just happened to pull one out of uh, Inland Empire magazine. You can see uh, right at the bottom, right at the top, it says, what are you celebrating? And it has good grades, anniversary, moving, lost tooth, cat's birthday, your team won, military enlistment, job promotion, new goldfish. We even do potty training. Right. That's actually one of the biggest <laughs> things we celebrate is potty training. And actually, right. the, the child gets a sun, free Sunday and a song. And um, I can't even tell you the hundreds of kids we've helped to potty train in this right. in Orange County. They, oh, they just need the right motivation, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the point being is that we needed to get the message out be, that there are so many things in life you can celebrate. It's not just birthdays. And so that's our big ad campaign right now is to let people know that we do celebrate a lot of things. Cancer survivors, we do a lot of those parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been clear and clean for five years. And, you know, it's so great because our staff, as I said, we have songs for everything. Uh, we have almost 30 different songs that are cast and we call our employees cast members, that our cast have to memorize uh, to go through all of these different songs. And that's what people really enjoy. Well, I think that's a fantastic way in which you guys have kind of changed that marketing, changed that message. You know, for me, as I mentioned before, it was that was always why we went to Ferrell's was to celebrate. It wasn't necessarily a birthday thing. But if that's what the majority of what your you know, client base was telling you, that, you know, hey, this was somewhere I go once a year, right? that's that's not great for business. So you, what you want is for people to come there to celebrate. So it sounds like you guys have really... I never thought of the potty training one. We'll have to let. let it works. Yeah. It really works. <laughs> maybe you may be having ads at like Babies R Us or something, right? Yeah. For, for, put it on the uh, on the potty training stools as going out. They slap on a coupon to Ferrell's. There we go. <laughs> so, what are some of the key expectations that you have of your management? We talked about your employees and and having those great entertainers, and they have certain expectations. But on a management level, those employees. You know, how does that really impact the day-to-day operation of the business? Well, the first thing that we look for in our management team, and this has been a bit of an evolution going from when we opened and all that, is we really want our managers to be servant leaders. We want them to have a servant leadership mentality. And and in trying to, you know, find that as a focus where they it, – it's not about a job. It's, it's, it's really about loving people. And, you know, it's, while it sounds difficult uh, for, for us, uh, it's been actually somewhat easy to find these people because the word gets out of the type of culture you had mentioned earlier about the culture of business. And Farrell's has a, uh, you know, a culture going over 50 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bob Farrell was a motivational speaker, wrote best-selling book, training vid- his training videos used at Nordstrom, In-N-Out Burger. Even even some of the video game companies are, are using his training video because it's, it's all about really loving people. And there's a book that came out uh, just recently called Chestnut Checkers and uh, written by Mark Miller. And that book is, is really required reading for, for all of our management supervisory team because it goes through really how to be that type of a leader. And, uh, and it's important because we want our, our cast members to feel that uh, the management and upper management really care about them as, as a person, not just uh, an employee. 
you know and and you know we even go around to our locations and make sure that we talk to them you know about the fact that we we want to hear from them and a lot of times employees are very leery about wanting to talk to upper management about an issue but we encourage them to do that because that's the way we learn that's the way we improve and i've really seen a shift in in our people because they they feel hey we are part of this team you know we don't want this to get by we we want to make sure our managers know it's 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 been great well, and, and what I'm hearing is that you've taken a, a subgroup of your company and you've given them additional direction. You've defined what their role is, wh- how, what you expect from them. You've provided with them training and tools to do so. And so it's not a surprise that that would get out because it is amazing to me how many companies don't have that kind of definition around what they expect from people. They, we expect you to be a good manager. Maybe they give them some training on how not to be the world's worst manager, you know, but th- it. They've not given them that more directedness on what kind of manager we expect you to be and how we expect you to make decisions. I mean, you've given some very broad-stroked things here about loving people and, and how you can act, but those are also really specific, too, if you think about it. If they, if they're going to think about the decisions they have to make. i got to choose left or go right. Mm-hmm. It's easier for them to do that, right? Yeah, and well, part of it, too, is the reinforcement, and I think that's where a lot of businesses make a mistake. They will put the information out to their managers or to their employees and it comes in the form of a you know of a operations manual right. handbook but it, it really is connecting constantly like for example we get our gms together uh, once a month we get all of our managers every single manager we have in the company we get together about once every six seven weeks uh and that's re- even reinforced with phone calls and things like that because it's it's something that just has to be kept up it's it's um it's like a father and a and a child and not saying that our our cast members or managers or children but 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 making sure that they know that we love them as a father would their child and mm-hmm. and the way that you show that is by paying attention and caring and it's easy to say those words pay attention and caring but it's another thing to really show them and 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 to lead by example well and you and you have to keep showing them it can't just be one time that, right. i think the reinforcement thing here is really important uh people are naturally worried and skeptical and fearful and whatever it may be in their in their lives and so they have this constant force that is of good and you're reinforcing those good things they're going to feel more calm and relaxed and make better decisions for your company which is ultimately what you want because that just trickles right down to the guest experience exactly right well I, you know you talked a little bit about kind of how feral started and what that culture was and then we've talked a little bit about where you guys have gone do you feel like the cultures are different in some ways or do you feel like it's just an extension of maybe what the original culture was before ferals no they are different and you know times were different you know back then and you know it's it's almost you know ferals was really popular let's say during the happy days television show era Mm -hmm. and people that know or remember that television show it was very much you know very clean and all of that in, in today's society, I mean, it's it's difficult. I mean, we've got social media, you know, that um, like we're doing right now. I mean, we're literally broadcasting on Periscope uh, across the world uh, what we're we're doing right now, and anybody can do that. Anybody can pick up Twitter, Instagram, and immediately post a photo of food or 
the excitement or what they're mm-hmm. going through. So, you know, it makes it doubly difficult for restaurants today to make sure that you stay on your game because when you're not on your game, people know about it and it's through th- you know thousands of people know about it. Right. So, back in the you know the early days, the culture was pretty much the same. Bob Farrell, and that's where we got it from. I mean, when we met Bob, that was his number one question for us. How are you going to take care of your your employees and 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 your customers? And that was his first question to Paul and I. That was his very first, not, hi, how are you? That We sat down, and right out of his mouth, that came. That's how important it was to Bob Farrell. And we keyed on that right away and, you know, and, and continued that on. So... So basically, we're you know we're in a process now where we're trying to look at our company from many different aspects. The growth uh, we want to be able to grow in a controlled manner, but we do want to grow whether it's through franchising, which we are licensed to franchise the concept now. We're, we want to make sure we do it right, and and that's the most important thing. Yeah, are there some specific things that you guys do? Do you think around employee engagement that uh, you know from for your company as a whole, I mean, it sounds like you had some specific things for managers, but maybe what are some of the unique things that you guys are really doing to make sure your employees stay engaged with, you know, their work on a day-to-day basis? Well, it really starts with the, the, the management team and between the managers, the general manager at the location, um, through pre-shifting um, and really interacting with the staff so that they that they understand if there's an issue that it's going to be handled right away. I've got some friends who have kids that work in other restaurant chains, and that's their biggest complaint is that they go out and work and they just don't feel like anybody in the office cares. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so being out on the floor and then doing, uh, you know, having competitions uh, and and games, um, things where the, the team interacts amongst themselves. You know, we have a... Um, a publication that comes out periodically that highlights all the different things that are going on in every location. So it's like a little magazine publication to our staff. And they enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, you know, annual parties, uh, events where they can get away and see each other in a different in a different light. And it, it's those kind of things. Right. So it sounds like you've done a great job not only extending what uh, Bob Farrell had in line, but also kind of creating your own identity and, and really pushing that into the company in a way that's very positive. So a lot of times when we have people in that are doing what you've done, that they tend to be pretty avid readers. So I'm wondering if there's a book that maybe you're reading or one that you suggest that you know entrepreneurs or HR folks or someone you know dealing with employees might uh, want to take a look at. Um, I'd say probably the the number one book is um, is actually by Rick Warren. What on What on earth am I here for? Because I think people need to understand why they are here, and everybody's here and has a purpose. Every single one of us has a purpose here on earth, and it's finding what that purpose is is so key. And um, it sometimes it takes a long time uh, till you're in your twenties and thirties, but those of us that find it, they find tremendous happiness because that's where you become focused. That's where you look at your job and go, "Guy, I can't believe they're paying me to do this. Um, I'm having so much fun. 
So that book, Chestnut Checkers, I can't recommend that book highly enough. Matter of fact, uh, we found that um, Chick-fil-A, uh, uh, all their management team in the entire company um, read the, have read that book because mm-hmm. it's so key in, in letting people know how, how to really treat those that work for you. And, and treat them with, you know, love and compassion. So many times people, you know, go into Chick-fil-A's and they go, God, I can't believe it. the people there are just so nice. How, how can they get a, a restaurant full of people that are that nice? And there is a way to do that. And it's it's creating that culture. So the other book I like is uh, Behind the Arches. I'm a history buff, so I like things. But Behind the Arches was one that... Uh, that I read, it's the story behind McDonald's, mm-hmm. and to understand, you talk about culture, and that that book really is great for people that want to learn how to build a culture within their business. Um, that's a great book. Yeah, those are two great books for you guys to check out. We'll definitely have those on the blog recap in case you didn't have time to to write that down. But uh, Mike, I want to thank you so much for for joining me today. It's been a pleasure learning more about the about Farrells and and, and your story and how you guys. You know, took that and, and and brought it back to life here. It's fantastic. Well, thanks, Chris, and I appreciate you having me on and and um, your program. You have so many interesting things, and I'm just very happy to be part of it today. I really appreciate it, and we'd love to have you come back at some point and give us an update. Okay, thanks again. All right, thank you. We'll have uh, Anna up here after this quick commercial break. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a quick reminder, if you have any questions for my guests today, you can send them to us via Twitter and use that hashtag TalentTalk. Just send them to at PeopleG2. Just type in at PeopleG2, write your wonderful question, hashtag TalentTalk, and we will uh, take a look and hopefully work it into the show here for my uh, second and final guest for today. Uh, we have Anna in here, whose name I'm just terribly screwing up, but I'm going to try one more time. Bedolio, is that correct? Perfecto. Perfecto. There we go. She's Associate Career Consultant with uh, Lee Hetch Harrison. So, Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. You have all of your notes ready. and I'm, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you none of these questions. We're just going to go with something else. That's great. No, you know, okay. I'm so used to flying by the seat of my pants. So, <laughs> Well, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and, of course, about your current role. Well, I have been in the legal field for... Gosh, I'm really going to date myself, but over 20-some-plus years and over the past eight years, I have been working in career and professional development in the academic areas and most recently at Lee Hack Harrison, where you briefly mentioned that I am a uh, associate career consultant. I'm one of the bilingual consultants over there, and I am having the time of my life over there. So what does a career consultant do? Oh, that's just a fancy word for being a career coach. And mm-hmm. so at Lee Hecht Harrison, I, I have the pleasure of working with wonderful people um, that have all these different backgrounds, uh, starting in from executives to professionals to managers to hourly workers. And I also uh, am the one of the bilingual uh, Spanish coaches, too. So we teach everything, not just being resume builders, but teaching you how to network, teaching you how to market yourself, how to develop what they call that elevator speech, how to negotiate and and, uh, cultivate offers, and really building yourself into the market. And as you know, we've taken so many uh, changes within the hiring market these days that it's important to really keep abreast of what's going on. So how does the average person end up with your firm and specifically end up with you coaching them? 
Well, it comes along in a different way. I know that some people can come and uh, to come directly to us and just say, you know, I want to go ahead and pay for services. But usually it comes from companies. So when uh, perhaps they are going through a downsize and they will go ahead and, and bring in Lee Hecht Harrison to come in here and and bring these folks up to speed. They really recognize the value that the that their employees gave them for so many years and they want to make sure that their that their former employees are going to go ahead and continue to bring value mm. to uh, uh, the their next employer. So so you've been in this area of career services over the last 8 years um which which sounds like an upgrade from your your previous uh uh, dealings you said, oh, at the DA, I think, right? And, but, but Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> so what is it that you find to be your most uh, rewarding aspect of this role? I think, you know, in all my roles doing career services, whether it's been on the law school side and now uh, on the private side or business side, has really been working with a candidate or student and seeing them come in the first day and just seeing the look on their faces till like till the end. And in particular, like with law students, seeing them, you know, when they come in as first years and seeing them get sworn into the bar. It's right. just amazing. And with the candidates like at Lee Hectarison, having them come in, tell them, their, have them tell me my story, or their story, excuse me, and uh, see them go ahead and grow in so many different ways. And I, that's really satisfying in my job. And what about the opposite? Other ch- what's the challenging parts of your job? Well, the challenging parts of the job is trying to deal with the emotional part of it. And so sometimes when when we have downsizing, people will take it personally. And and it's understandable. And a a big part of it, too, is just trying to, to really remind that it was not a decision that was made with their interests. It was just a business decision. And it is not about them and trying to help them turn it around. Mm-hmm. And again, trying to get that buy-in. Um, well, really, they're quite lucky because most of the time you get laid off or you get fired or whatever, they're saying, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And in your instance, you're, they're saying, well, these are great people. We want to make sure that they have these tools they need to get another job. We we can't continue to employ them for whatever business reason, but we want to help them going forward. I mean, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, it is. It is. And so, I mean, on, on a personal level, I've had some friends that have gotten, Lee, as I jokingly say, Lee heck nothing. So, you know, where they don't have that opportunity to, to have a coach, to have them help. And as you know, the market has really changed over the two years. And sometimes I, I will go ahead and joke about the Austin Powers movie and say, you know, Austin, times have changed. And it's the same way mm-hmm. in the employment market. And so, as I, you know, in talking about the challenges, it's really trying to get people to have that buy-in and a lot of times so much of the emotional part of it will get in the way and it's trying to go ahead and keep up with the clients but there's only so much that we can do but given the challenges and you're kind of identifying are there certain strategies that you have to ensure that you know your time as their coach can be successful absolutely and so when i normally meet with candidates and even when i was in academia i would let them know I'm your partner. This is a 50-50 partnership. I can't want that position more than you can, and I'm willing to do what needs to what what needs to be taken in order to get to that goal. But if you don't want it, I can't want it for you. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the hard part. But from the from the onset, I really go ahead and develop trust and and bring in empathy and and really kind of make myself more approachable and also share about my story. 
Right. Because, you know, my story has kind of had some bumpy roads, too. And once I once I kind of explain that, people just kind of say, okay, you know, we can work with her. Right. So I know you have all these different people and kind of really multiple career stages. You have executives, you have professionals, you have managers, you have hourly staff that you're working with. So is there a particular stage that you enjoy working with more, you know, or maybe you get the most out of? You know, I like them all. I I really like them all. I I think that so many people bring so much to the table and everybody um, just has a different story and a different uh, journey. So it's fascinating to be able to to learn more about them. I enjoy really working with the groups. So, uh, So if I have to go ahead and teach workshops or do presentations, whether it's through a course of a day or through um, maybe a week or so, it's building that relationship. So when I have more time with them and, uh, and being able to turn things around. So I remember working with one particular group, and, and these folks were part of the warehouse group, and uh, um, they were really apprehensive. And so there was some grumbling towards the manager who wanted to make sure that everybody was ready and prepared before they were closing down their doors. And so they they had gone in there saying, oh, we don't want to do it. We don't want to meet with her. And after the first morning, one of the guys came up to the manager and said, oh, my gosh, I had gone in there with so much apprehension. This is such a waste of time. But she gave me so much hope. And a big part of it was just connecting with them, explaining what my journey was and understanding and then just kind of being real. Yeah. And you have a, uh, there's a, we talked about this earlier about you being a little bit of an introvert, but you have a softness about you that I'm sure in this realm is comforting to people. They don't, you're not coming in and being an extrovert and saying, you know, almost yelling at them, hey guys, we're going to make this happen. And I don't, I don't see you being like a, just, you know, stomping up and down and cheerleading. I see you being very calm and telling them it's going to be okay and this is how we're going to fix this or this is how we're going to get from point A to point B. Am I kind of describing that correctly? Kind of, sort of, yeah. You know, I also think I do have the cheerleader side. So, for example, if I have a candidate that tells me, you know, I have an interview on Thursday at 11, you know, I'll put it on my calendar Mm -hmm. and I will be thinking good and happy thoughts for them. So I will when I need to, to to take on that role. Uh, With that in mind, too, one of the things that I have learned, and I jokingly say, is that I'm going to take a, a, a second uh, a coffin with me to my gravesite is because I am really good at keeping secrets. So I think when, <laughs> so one of the things is that I really have people come and share things with me. Mm-hmm. And I usually tell them, you know, what stays in this room doesn't go out. I'm here to help. And what can I do for you? And again, as I mentioned earlier, is there's a lot more buy-in when I'm able to share my story and that my story isn't a lot different and taking things that perhaps might be negative and turning it into a positive. So, for example, if I have somebody, whether it could have been a student or, a, or more, more recently a candidate, who will say to me, oh, you know, I had such a bad interview. All right, well, let's break it down. What, what, was, your, what was your feeling? What did they ask you? Um, you know, what did, how did you feel about this? And a lot of times it just wasn't them. Right. It was just some, some other factor that played. So that kind of helps a lot and just have, build more confidence, too. And, and how do you think your experience in, in the law you know, field, has, that, has certain things crossed over into coaching that you think it's a real advantage for you, uh, kind of having those other experiences first? Yes. 
I think that because I've had so much experience coming from so many different realms is, is a big advantage. The other part of it, too, has been listening skills. Because as a you know, being in the legal field, you have to have great listening skills and be able to empathize. And, and people come to you with with problems. They come to you, you know, when they're at their worst. And so, oftentimes, you know, sometimes I will get candidates who are just not in the best position. And so they're, you know, not coming here, you know, being there, you know, happy, happy, joyful, joy. They're thinking right. about other things. And so it's being able to go ahead and be analytical and be solution-minded and, and keeping that positive and, and being creative. And those are the things that I have brought over as well. And in addition to that is just that level of confidentiality as well. Uh, so that has been very, very helpful. So you feel like they, because you have that background, they feel like when you tell them you're going to have this confidentiality that you're really going to do it because, you know, you have this this law background? Is that what you're kind of saying? Well, I think it becomes ingrained in you. Mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that people kind of see that it, it comes from a very genuine place because that has been that has been brought in um, on so many different levels and what I do as well. But with that in mind, I also think that what is helpful is also having the analytical thinking. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody says, oh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and negotiate an offer and they're offering me this and this and this, but I don't think that this is right. And we said, okay, well, let's sit down about it. Let's sit down with it. Let's go ahead and break things down and start analyzing everything and saying, well, well, what if we come in from the back end? What if you're able to go ahead and negotiate maybe extra vacation or maybe a bonus in from the back end or getting in a extra view at, you know, the three-month mark or the six-month mark and trying to come up with those solutions that normally are unorthodox or so. Right. Now, it looks like from the things that we've talked about, you're generally in this position to help other people. Mm-hmm. So. When it comes down to kind of, you know, deep down in your core, where does that come from? Where does that desire to want your work to be a part of helping other people? That's a great question. And I think it just comes just from all the different roles that I have had just, you know, through my professional journey. And just it it just is something that just brings me so much joy and just so much satisfaction. And so nothing really makes me happier when I hear, listen, I've, I've gotten this position or I'm getting this interview out. I felt this way and, uh, or I'm going to be able to do this mm-hmm. and helping them meet their goals or helping them think in a different perspective or even when somebody might have a bad interview and taking it as a step back and saying, well, you know, it really wasn't you because from what I'm hearing from this particular person that interviewed you, I, this is the vibe that I'm getting. Right. So, and, and being able to go ahead and, and turn things around, and I think that just brings me so much joy. Well, sometimes when we've interviewed people, they've, they've kind of given us examples of maybe a particular leader or a particular mentor that maybe really guided them in a particular way and i'm i'm almost wondering too even for you if maybe very early on as a a child there was you know somebody who was giving you that sort of guidance that kind of pushes you into that type of thinking or into that you know we find our own value and self-worth and being able to take our expertises and help other people i know for me personally, you know, my grandfather would always help someone. If someone asked him for help, he would always he was very generous and always help people. And I learned that from him that when someone asked me for something, I try to help them because I observed it, I saw it, he he lived it, he practiced it, and he never did it for any selfish reason. He just mm-hmm. 
was nice. Right, right, <laughs> You right. know, so it's always fascinating to me when people kind of choose a particular path. You can almost, you, I wonder, who was it in their life that maybe, you know, helped guide them down that road? And I don't know if you have an answer for that, but it'd be interesting to know if you did. You know, I, I want to start, I think, with even my family, even with my dad. My dad had been in business for himself for many, many years, and I just got a really good understanding as to how he was able to do his business and to be able to be genuine and being always able to help people. And one of the things that he taught me early on was basically whenever you meet somebody, you always say hello and uh, uh, please and thank you. And I took it one step further, and I would always ask somebody how their day was and then I try to remember one thing about that person Mm -hmm. and I cannot tell you how much that has actually served me so well because it comes from a genuine place and I know sometimes that people kind of uh, have a hard time with this whole idea of networking and such and saying oh you know I don't want to do this and and it's worked well for me because it comes from a genuine place you know and you take the time to listen to a person. Remembering something about somebody is a, a great thing to do. And I've seen this work in really sincere ways, and I've also kind of seen it work in a very robotic ways. I mean, my mm-hmm. my um, my eye doctor. I mean, you walk in there, and it's like, so how are the three kids? You know, he's like looking at the chart that you know it's been written down. But you know, his practice is always full. It's, it's a nightmare to get an appointment. So clearly, this you know he's got the stuff written down. It's not quite as um, smooth as you know other times, but you know remembering something about somebody and recognizing their life or their accomplishments and asking, like you said, just how they how they're doing is huge. Instead of just jumping right into you know you sit down, it's networking and you shake hands and it's so. Let me tell you what I can do for you. Sure. I mean that's just so it's it's off putting almost. You know people forget that. It it is, and you know I can't tell you how many pe- people uh, I have asked that question, and then come back maybe a, a few days later, and said, "Yeah, how was your trip to the river? Oh my gosh, you remembered? Mm-hmm. Well, of course I did. You know, and right. so you make a mental note. Now I may not remember your name immediately, but I do remember <laughs> that you did go to the river. Right, right. The more people you meet, it gets a little bit more challenging. So sometimes you have to. I've had to sometimes write things down because. I've had a busy week and met 50 people. Right. It, it can be a challenge, but you have to find ways to, to modify it so you can make sure you remember. Well, I feel so much better because I was just contributing it to old age. Yeah. So. No, no. It, well, it could be that too. Who knows? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, if someone was really thinking about, you know, engaging a career coach uh, like you or, or someone like you, you know, what's... What should they be thinking about or what should they be looking for so they can have a successful outcome? Well, I really think that they need to really sit down and think about what they want to do. Uh, always doing some research is really important and I think is really looking into the market of where they would like to go ahead and uh, place their energies in and look at what the atmosphere is like and see where their needs are. Mm-hmm. And to be able to come to a coach. So, for example, if you have a, a a person who hasn't left their particular job in maybe 25 years or so, and suddenly they find themselves out in the market, you know, they have to be able to ask those questions. You know, do I want to stay here? What do I want to do? I'm close to retirement. Do I want to do consulting? And a big part of it is just being able to, to have a resource as to who will be 
who will be able to answer those questions and be able to guide and mentor you. And I think in every port in our life, we do need a mentor. We need somebody who's going to go ahead and be able to either give us a refresher or just point us to new things that we don't think about. And I think when we're making career transitions, there's so many things to think about. Um, most of all, financial. The other part of it is saying, well, do I want to continue in this industry? What is it that really drives me? Do I want to be happy? Uh, you know, what What are my geographic locations? And uh, those are things to take in, in, into account. And you can't expect to always do it alone. Right. So many people, that's their... They, things go wrong or they get tough and they want to just do it themselves. They don't they don't want to ask for help. They feel weak or that that's they're you know, it's a negative thing to ask for help. And I always think when you look at some of the most successful people, they're really good at asking for help. They're really good at saying, I don't know how to do this or I'm I'm worried about this and what do you think? And those that are struggling seem to just keep it in and they hide from it and they don't want anyone to know and it's it's a it's a, it's a weird juxtaposition as far as you know, being successful or getting your problem solved. Yes, and I think uh, that's a that's a challenge is going into ostrich mode. And mm-hmm. at times, you know, whether I've seen it in 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 students and in candidates where they just go into the ground and say, "I'm not coming out." You know, this problem will go away if I just keep my head in the ground stuck long enough. But it just doesn't. It just gets worse. And I and I think that a person is stronger for coming to ask help. And I never mind in answering any questions. And sometimes I'll be asked, you know, this may sound like a silly question, but, and my response is no question is ever silly. It's silly not to ask the question. So I'm right. always more than happy to go ahead and be able to provide my input. And if I don't readily have the answer, I will go ahead and, and look for the answer. Well, since you're a member of our Orange County HR book club, I know that you like to read books. Yes. So I'm wondering if you have a book, whether it's the one you're reading right now, which I probably could guess, um, or one that you just might suggest in general for our audience. You know, right now I've just kind of gone into the summer mode. So I haven't been reading in a long time for pleasure. So I've just decided to pick up was Deary. Uh, Julia Child's autobiography, and mm-hmm. I've come to enjoy her so much, and not so much that she cooks with so much butter, but uh, the fact that she has a fantastic story, and she finds herself, you know, work, uh, following her husband and taking this journey with him, and at a late age in her life, she discovers this joy of cooking, and she really decides to make a trend, a career change into something that was so unknown and just running into those barriers uh, you know in trying to accomplish this goal of being able to write a cookbook mm-hmm. and and how she was able to go ahead and break these different barriers and get into television which you know she thought it was the craziest idea ever but she did and she was successful and you know changed the way that we really now cook yeah i, I her, there's something about her spirit that is just you watch her on TV, YouTube videos. It's just, uh, she's amazing. And I don't know how she stumbled into all these things. It was p- perseverance. She didn't give up. But she did kind of really push through so many different boundaries. At cooking school, at, to have a book published, then to get Americans to be cooking French, then to be on TV. I and mean, there's just so many things um, uh, that are, are really amazing. So that sounds like a great book for people to check out if they're interested in learning that story. And it has a lot of business applications as well, besides being a you know a great pleasure book. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was the part you know, and 
kind of bringing the correlation, uh, you know, in terms of the book club and seeing, well, you know what, this is a person who started off late in life and really had been working with the government during the Second World War and so then, you know, decided to follow uh, her husband and saying, you know, what do I really want to do? Mm-hmm. And really couldn't find much of anything and said, you know what, I'm going to go to cooking school, much to her parent or father's chagrin because, you know, she came from a pretty wealthy family and she really took on that took on that role especially when women chefs were really frowned upon you know mm-hmm. she was really uh, the only woman in in her uh, group of uh, of colleagues at right. the Cordon Bleu. So that was really hard, and just having to have that buy-in. And so when we think about technology and what we can do now, uh, like even now, uh, doing this program and where it's going to be heard and how far and how we can send a text message you know, within seconds to someone, and for her to be able to publish this book and get this idea rolling, um, you know, when there wasn't any technology, it was based on cables and letters and such. It's absolutely mind-boggling. And yeah. so she's just been really a model as to perseverance and not being able to take no for an answer. Right. Yeah, it's a, if you think you have it tough now, yeah, you have. we have so many more advantages now to be able to have the access to the things that we want to try to accomplish. So it's just a matter of whether or not you want to do it and what you want to make it happen. Absolutely. Well, we're at the end here, and I really want to appreciate, I really want to thank you and really appreciative that you came by to to uh, be on the show with us today. And we certainly want to keep track of what you're doing over there at Lehigh Harrison, and we'd love to have you come back at some point and give us some more stories of of the great work you're doing over there. Oh, you know, I would love to. I just can't believe our time has just flown by. It's flown by. So it's about all the ha- time we have for today. I want to thank again my guests. We have Mike Fleming from Farrell's and also Anna Bedulio. Got it twice. Oh, man, twice in a row. I owe you a Feral Sunday. Okay. I think you. I think I have a free card in my pocket, but okay. Uh, but next week you can turn in at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to hear, is that Bjorn? Erland? Okay, well, I'm, I'm having all kinds of trouble with names today. Senior Director of HR Excellence at Taco Bell. And we also have uh, Pamela Waisley, CEO of uh, Sirius Executive. So, until then, do what you love, say people's names correctly the first time, and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Town Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2. 